Hello. The BBC's competitors have more power to influence the BBC's ability to make changes than those who pay for it. That is nonsensical. Not my words, but those of the VLV, the voice of the listener and viewer, whose chair, Colin Brown, joins me now. I want to discuss with him how we can make the corporation more accountable at a time when it is cutting back on services without consulting those who pay for them. But first, Colin, let's talk about the VLV itself. It's been going for 40 years. What do you think its role is? You're right, Roger. It's been going for 40 years. We're looking forward to celebrating our 40th uh, anniversary later this year. Essentially, it does what it says on the label. We try to be the voice of the listener and the, and the viewer. We come at broadcasting policy issues from the point of view of viewers and listeners, and very importantly, citizens in the UK. So we respond to things that are happening in the broadcasting industry, particularly public service broadcasting. We campaign for quality, diversity, excellence in broadcasting. But we're primarily a, a membership organisation and a charity. And I think our strength is in a way that other perhaps uh, organisations the media don't have. We are literally purely focused on the interests of viewers, listeners and citizens. Mm. Well, I know you're taken seriously by the BBC because I often hear the executives talk about you. And, for example, a few weeks ago, or maybe less than that, you had half an hour with the BBC chairman. They listen to you. Do they act upon what you say? We like to think so. It's sometimes not that easy to draw a direct linear link between something you've said and what happens. But we do believe that we have been successful in the past and indeed quite often in modifying things that might be done and in actually helping to inform the BBC's view so the BBC can take, we hope, more audience-related decisions based on the kind of information and the input that we provide. Well, you've said that, uh, you know, one of your roles is to hold the UK broadcasters to account. Is it more difficult than ever? Because looking at your latest press release... You say there's been a significant reduction of consultation with the public on behalf of the BBC and Ofcom over the past six years, and that the public find it much more difficult to have their say. What has gone wrong then in the last six years? Well, one of the big changes, particularly as far as the BBC is concerned, is that we've had a, a new system of management and governance put in. You may remember, Roger, until, what, about five years ago, was the, the BBC Trust. And the BBC Trust... There were things that were wrong with it. It didn't always work very well with the BBC. There could be problems. But one of the things the Trust was very good at was actually consulting with audiences about decisions, about changes in service, about services being started, services being ceased, and about the individual genre of programming. And the Trust publicised those consultations really well. Um, the BBC had to carry an announcement on air telling the public if there was going to be a consultation on one of these issues. And that elicited quite large numbers of responses. So that's before 2017? Yeah. So if the BBC, for example, wanted to close down a service, then there would have had to be consultation. Indeed. But now, if I understand your press release properly, the BBC can close down any service without consulting anyone. That's right. That is one of the things that we are really quite concerned about. Concern is shocking, isn't it? I mean, the, <laughs> the BBC is funded by the licence where the taxpayer has to pay for it. This is a classic case of taxation without representation, isn't it? 
Yes, they have to consult over new services, but they don't have to consult over uh, closing down services. So, for example, what we're saying at the moment is the, the BBC, as you will know, Roger, is merging the, the UK news channel and the, the uh, worldwide news channel into one single service. So essentially, it, from that point of view, it is closing down BBC 24-hour news in the UK. They're doing that and they can do that without any kind of consultation. They're making changes to local radio, for example, reducing the number of broadcast hours from local radio. Yeah, well, I think in many people's views, they're cutting local radio and becoming regional radio for significant parts of the day. That's exactly right. And they're moving more local stuff, they say, online, as they are doing with other stations potentially as well, like Radio 5 Extra. They're talking about moving that uh, as being online only. They don't have to consult. And they don't have to consult. Now, we are, as you know, we are broadly sympathetic to the BBC as an organisation. We support them, support public service broadcasting. But, and there's always going to be quite a few buts involved, we understand the funding difficulties that they're under at the moment because we believe that the, the last licence fee settlement was inadequate from the point of view of having the funding they needed to serve audiences well. So we're sympathetic to the fact that they do have to make cuts, they have to find economies where they can. But there is no kind of joined up plan or thinking coming out to the outside world saying how these different things fit together. So you've got the news channel changes, you've got world service changes, you've got local radio changes, and it's all a bit piecemeal. And as I say, it is not subject to consultation with the, with the broader public. You see, the suspicion a number of us has is the BBC, understandably, is very worried about its future income and is preparing for a time without a licence fee and is concentrating on building up a big international business. Now, that's fine in one way, but what about the public service element for this country? That's what concerns a lot of us, and I know concerns VLV members. And there seems to be few ways of expressing this. I mean, you said something else in your press release, which I found quite extraordinary. The BBC's competitors have more power to influence the BBC's ability to make changes rather than those who fund it. This, you said, is clearly nonsensical. Well, it is, but how is that the case? It happens uh, because we've talked about the BBC, but we also need to talk about Ofcom as well. And Ofcom took over, as you know, some of the powers of the formally exercised by the BBC Trust. So Ofcom do need to consult with what they define as stakeholders, but they're not defining stakeholders as including the, the general public. And the general public often don't know that these consultations are going on. These stakeholders, though, are likely to be, as again you point out, the majority of stakeholders are competitors of the BBC. Precisely. Certainly those who respond to these consultations are predominantly the competitors of the BBC. So Ofcom get all these submissions for the BBC critics, and those who wish to fundamentally support the BBC and those who pay for it are not given really the opportunity of doing so. Exactly. That's largely because these consultations are, are not uh, advertised, and they used to be. So you've got this two-prong uh, whammy. On the one hand, the BBC has stopped consulting to the same extent. It relies more on audience research, it says, and that, you know, that's fine up to a point. But that should not exclude going out and engaging with the broader public as well. And then on the other hand, you have Ofcom having a much more limited approach to advertising as consultations as well. Often, Roger, we are the only, the only non-industry body that actually responds to these consultations. 
Now, Colin Brown, before the system changed, uh, I think in 2017, how many people responded, how many organisations responded to this request for, for consultation? Well, in 2015, for example, at the time of the Charter Review, more than 40,000 people responded to the BBC Trust on its consultation on the Charter Review. That's 40,000. And now, the latest figures? Well, for example, the, the latest BBC consultation, I think there was something like 25 responses, because people didn't know about Sorry, 40,000, and I know it was Charter and Neil, 40,000 five, six years ago, and 25? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Can I ask you another thing that's happening, of course, is that there's a proposal, a consultation going on now uh, from Ofcom, which is giving broadcasters, if you like, greater degree of freedom about what they uh, choose to produce, i.e. the quotas that were there to protect, as it were, some would might say threatened species, religious broadcasting or children's or even amount of news in certain circumstances. Those quotas uh, are Ofcom is saying, should we relax them? And with the strong suggestion that they should. How is that consultation going? Well, once again, I think um, I'm not sure whether very many people are aware of that consultation. We have responded and made it clear that we don't support the relaxation of the quotas. It's all very well in theory, but the fact of the matter is that if you actually don't have a quantitative measurement as opposed to just a qualitative measurement of what is being provided, history over the last five, ten years shows that, for example, in children's programming, which you mentioned, you just don't get the same amount of programming made for, the, for those audiences. There always be enough examples for them to put in a press release, but actually the numbers, the volume of hours, the amount spent, all of those crucial things have gone. I mean, my experience working in the BBC and, and elsewhere was that, uh, and I know things have changed a lot, is if you don't have time, hours committed, and you don't have money committed, the thing disappears. Uh, if you look at Channel 4, for example, something like 10 years ago, it had to do religious programmes, and it did a really serious, really interesting religious programmes, and there was a commissioner whose specific job was to do that. There is no commissioner now. There's no direct requirement. So it goes. Yeah. If you don't have quotas to protect, people don't realise also how important these areas are, but also they're wonderful areas to make programmes about. But unless, you know, producers are directed towards them, they sometimes don't realise that. Absolutely. And, and the other thing linked with that is um, Ofcom will say that the BBC will say what it is going to try. For example, the BBC will say what it is going to do about certain genre over of the year ahead. They will then the BBC will then make a qualitative assessment of how well they have performed, and then they report to Ofcom. So to that extent, it's the, it's the BBC marking its own homework. So that's remarkably convenient. And doubtless they will not get two out of ten in their own marking. Yeah? <laughs> and by the time Ofcom are involved, looking back to see how they have done. It's a, quite a lot of time has passed by then, and that, that is the problem. So I come back to what I said. We are sympathetic towards the broadcasters, and in particular the BBC, in these difficult circumstances, um, trying to get as much freedom as possible and as much space as possible to use this money well. But nevertheless, you've got to remember that the fundamental purpose is to serve society, citizens uh, in the UK, and there needs to be better mechanism for giving those citizens a voice in these big decisions. When you go to the chairman of the BBC and you put these concerns to them, do you get the classic BBC, we're really sympathetic, we understand your position, and then you leave and nothing happens? I mean, what this is such, to me anyway, such a transparent betrayal of the concept of public service broadcasting. 
because to have public service broadcasting without public consent is a deeply flawed idea. So when he talked to the chairman, what did he say? Well, he is sympathetic, and he would argue that the BBC is trying to do more of this. It's doing more of it, as I say, through market research, uh, qualitative analysis that they're getting from people's viewing habits, the kind of responses they get to programmes and so on. And then, of course, there's the other issue, which is back to the funding. This all costs a bit of money as well. Yeah, I know you can't have cuts by committee, and everybody understands that, and everybody understands somebody's got to take a decision. But the idea, this is, for, in my experience, you know, you've worked inside the BBC at a very senior level as well. In my experience, uh, the BBC has never been cutting services to this extent and has never faced a bleaker financial future, certainly over the next two years. So we are about to see further cuts inevitably down the road. And yet precisely at the moment... When these crucial decisions have been taken, the licence fee payer has been almost cut out of the debate. Now, if you do market research, as you know, backwards, a lot of the answers depend on the questions you ask, and companies tend to ask the questions that will elicit the answers they want. There's a vast difference between that and having independent outside people able to put the questions and concerns that they've got. Yeah, and the kind of dilemma we face in raising these issues is that the BBC is very good at consulting us. We are one of the organisations that it will go to directly. But much as we, hard as we try to represent the, the, the public as a whole, obviously that is not the same thing as going out directly and building a two-way relationship with your viewers and listeners. And that is what's not happening. But you have got plans yourself. I mean, you, you are planning what you call citizen forums. Yeah. Now, how many of them are, are there going to be? Where would they be? What are their forms? We're developing that at the moment. What we have been working on in the last year is working with other civil society groups who have an interest in broadcasting or should have an interest in broadcasting. Sometimes they didn't realise they should have until we talked to them. And we've set up a steering group, for example, involving those organisations to work together and bring together different organisations across the UK that have this interest in a, a free, open, quality debate about broadcasting and the importance of good quality broadcasting to society in the UK. We're also now trying to develop plans for a, a citizens' assembly, and we're just working on that at the moment, but those are still early days. So we're... we're trying to work hard with other like-minded or potentially like-minded organisations. But this is part of a bigger picture as, as well, Roger. I mean, we focused on the BBC and the BBC not communicating and Ofcom not communicating. But the other big issue is with governments as well. I mean, at the moment, as you well know, this is a time of great importance, great difficulty and danger for broadcasting. Yes, well, I mean, Peter Bezeljet has said in one of your lectures that, that public service broadcasting faces, I think he said, an existential threat. And he said that, for example, ITV might decide it's no longer in its interest to remain a public service broadcaster. And we've also had the big debate, well, another big debate, big argument about Channel 4 privatisation. So it's across the board, these issues and these concerns. Yeah. And once again, the question is, where is the public debate? Particularly if you come to back to the BBC in this context, as you will know, that the current licence fee, the current funding arrangement is due to end in a couple of years' time. And uh, the government under <laughs> previous secretaries of state, and as you know, it's a bit difficult to keep up with the numbers of secretaries of state, had talked about setting up a panel with a, a leading figure to review various possible means of funding the BBC to have a 
proper review of that. There was no indication given as to whether that would involve a wider consultation of the public, of the, uh, of the viewers and listeners, no indication as to how it would operate. And with all the changes that have happened in government, there's actually no indication now as to whether we'll have this panel at all. So really important things like the way the BBC is funded could easily be decided with almost no public engagement at all. And that is just not acceptable. And also a situation, as you say, you have <laughs> DCMS, uh, you know, doors seem to open about twice a year with a new minister going through. We've just got a new minister, presumably hardly read the brief. They haven't got a permanent secretary because the government decided to move the permanent secretary elsewhere. So they've got standing permanent secretaries. They've got a delayed broadcasting bill that everybody's waiting for and hasn't been delivered. It's a chaotic situation precisely at the moment where, as you were suggesting, vital decisions are being made. I mean, it's... It's almost a breakdown in regulation, isn't it? So you look at Ofcom in these circumstances as the regulator to take a lead. I haven't heard from the chairman, Michael Grade, uh, on these issues. Have you? Ofcom is the regulator, to be fair to Ofcom. Ofcom can't set policy in some of these big areas. That is a matter for government. If you look at the Channel 4 privatisation proposal, which came from government, that is, is obviously very much reflecting government policy. And actually, there was consultation on the proposal to privatise Channel 4. Yeah, and I think everybody said, no, don't do it. <laughs> Almost everybody said no. But the government under the then Secretary of State more or less looked like it was going to disregard the consultation and carry on anyway. And I think it was only with the, the changes within government and the various other pressing issues and problems they face the Channel 4 privatisation was dropped. So that was actually a classic example of there being a consultation and the government then choosing to ignore it. But at least in that period when there's a consultation, people can put their point of views, they can rally round before a decision is formally taken. And if the government is faced with the embarrassing position that about now... Uh, not sure the exact figure, but about 97% of the submissions say don't privatise Channel 4, they know they've got a big problem. Yeah, yeah, that is true. That, that is true. But... Channel 4 was something where they did actually consult on. To an extent, this is not new, Roger, because if you go back over the last numbers of BBC licence fee settlements, funding settlements, it's always been done behind closed doors. And people will always say it'll be done differently next time, but it's always been a behind closed doors deal between the government and the BBC, with basically the government imposing a particular funding settlement on the BBC. Now, we have argued strongly that at the very least, there has to be a full debate in Parliament. Ideally, there should be a public debate. There should then be a full debate in Parliament before these kind of decisions are taken. Ultimately, it will be for the government to decide. But the government have to give a wider part of society the opportunity to state views, to come in and actually have some influence on the way that decision is taken. There are some people who would argue we don't need public service anymore. And when they do this, they say, hey, look at Netflix and look at the amount of drama that's available and so on. And uh, they think, well, the market will now deliver. But the market doesn't deliver, as we now know, local journalism significantly. We've had a process of attrition going on there. The market doesn't tend to deliver an independent news service. The market doesn't develop a world service. The market doesn't, on the whole, produce original children's programming. They are, all of these things, the market doesn't do. And yet, scanning the horizon, there doesn't seem to be anybody articulating a clear vision of public service broadcasting 
for the rest of this, or well, the next 20 years. What's your vision of public service broadcasting? What do, what do we need both to retain and develop? Well, we have to start by asking ourselves what it is we, we want to end up with. And the real value of public service broadcasting is regulated in a way that ensures the programming, big percentage of the programming is geared to UK society. It is reflecting the UK to itself. It is looking at the interests of, of UK citizens, which goes beyond just entertainment and good drama. Because you say, as you rightly say, the global companies, the streamers, do produce some really, really good programming, and one has to welcome that. But we need to make sure that there continues to be material and content that reflects the UK to itself. And that's partly the news and current affairs that you're talking about, Roger, but it's broader than that as, as well. It's about minorities as well who, you know... It's absolutely. International broadcasters, and they're doing great stuff, but they're commercial broadcasters, they have to make a profit. There are a whole range of people in, in this country who aren't being heard or think they aren't being heard, and they won't be heard in a purely commercial system. But the other thing which fascinates me is that in order to know who we are, we have to know who we were. We have to know about our past. We have to know, I would say, for example, the role of Christianity has played in shaping this. In order to understand new communities, we need to understand what they believe and their systems of belief. We need to know about Islam. We need to know about Judaism, Buddhism, and so on. That knowledge, which needs to be shared and discussed amongst us all, is not going to happen outside a public service broadcasting system, is it? That's absolutely right. That kind of, uh, is it reflecting UK society, UK beliefs, back to the UK, it is vital. And you mentioned earlier, Roger, that the financial pressures on the BBC would force it to be successful internationally, earn money internationally. And that's, that's fine. Our concern is that, that makes it all the pressure on the BBC will be pr to produce more commercial programming, which is sellable on the international markets. And therefore, back to the fundamental point is who is serving the UK and providing the kind of services, programs, cultural input that is so important. And to be fair, I mean, I think the BBC do reckon this. They're stuck between a rock and a hard place to an extent, Roger. Well, they are, but my observation, I don't know what it's your observation, is this, is that, and I'm an admirer of the Director General, uh, who's got a really tough job, but it seems to me it's a classic sort of business management style. You decide what your policy is, you get your management team around you, and you say, this is the policy, go out and sell it. Now, I understand why you do that, but public service has to be a little different from that. I can see a really well-tooled-up, experienced BBC board in business terms, and I can see a Director General who's a really good manager, and I don't hear and I don't see someone at the top table who's got a clear vision of public service broadcasting they will articulate and which will influence the decision-making in terms of the cuts that are made. So they, who will be able to say, when there's a big push to sell abroad and make those sorts of programmes, hold on, what's our real purpose? That's my worry. Do you share that worry? Up to a point, but in the direct conversations I've had at the, the top level in the BBC, I think they do understand that. And they've gone to some lengths to explain why building a successful commercial business or a business that gets them a lot of commercial revenues does not mean deserting the kind of material, the kind of UK-focused stuff that uh, you, you and I have been talking about. So I, I think there is that understanding, to be fair, Roger. 
But that understanding would be assisted if they um, consulted their viewers and listeners and your organisation a little bit more, I should have thought. I mean, just on that point, though, if people wanted to join the VLV, uh, what do they have to do? You've got a website. We've um, got a website. Go is, it website. Be, is it going to be very expensive for them? 30 quid a year. Oh, well, that's a good deal. I have to agree with you. <laughs> so just go to the website, VLV. And you're not just London-based, are you? You really want to do... When you're talking about the consultations and the citizens forums, you are determined to get round the UK. That is absolutely our aim, and to encourage the broadcasters to do that as well. And I should say, Roger, as you know, we have um, at, at two or three conferences a year. We have major speakers. Uh, we're well supported by um, the broadcasters and indeed the politicians from that point of view. And we have our annual award ceremony and we have a, a bulletin that goes out three or four times a year. So we work very hard to try to keep our members, um, our members involved. And what really heartens me in all of this, Roger, is that a lot of our members are just very, I always hate the word ordinary, but they're not media people. They're just concerned citizens who understand the importance of these issues and are coughing up the £30 a year to be a member of the VLV. Colin Brown, the chair of the VLV, thank you very much. Thank you, Roger. And that's it for this week. Please do support our journalism. We might not have been around as long as the VLV, but we're trying to do our bit, so please help us if you can. It's only £1.99 per month, and you can do this easily by using the link on our website and in the description of this programme on your podcast platform. You can get in touch with interview ideas and questions on Twitter by using at Roger or on Mastodon using at RogerBolton at MastodonApp.uk or you can send an email to roger at rogerboltonsbeewatch.com and this podcast was presented by me, Roger Bolton, and it was produced by Kate Dixon. The sound was by Clifton Bank Studios, and special thanks to Quinn Genty. It was a Good Egg production. Until next week, goodbye. <laughs>